You're listening to the Gesher Podcast, the place where the Jewish and evangelical Christian communities come together to talk about the things that matter. I'm your host, Ty Perry, ministry representative for the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry here in sunny Las Vegas, Nevada. Thanks for joining me. Anti-Semitism, the prejudice against Jewish people, is a threat the Jewish community lives with daily. Indeed, the history of the Jewish people throughout the diaspora is inseparably linked to personal, religious, and civil anti-Semitism in every generation. Unfortunately, few evangelicals understand just how pervasive anti-Semitism is, not only in Christian history, but in the present as well, and what the Bible has to say about it. Joining me today to talk about anti-Semitism is my colleague at the Friends of Israel, Bruce Scott. Bruce is Program Ministries Director with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, where he has served since 1988. He holds a Master of Divinity degree from Central Baptist Theological Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and as a writer for Israel My Glory magazine. He's also an international Bible teacher and the author of the book, The Feast of Israel, Seasons of the Messiah. Bruce, welcome to the Gusher Podcast. Thank you, Ty. It's a pleasure to be with you. Bruce, um, I want to dive right in. Um, Anti-Semitism, as I said, is a <laughs> pervasive problem uh, throughout the world and including the United States today. But can you tell me what anti-Semitism is? How would you define that? Well, the, the technical definition of the term itself, anti-Semitism, means against Semites. So anybody who is descended from Shem, who is one of the three sons of Noah, but that's not historically how it's been applied. Um, historically, the term has been applied to uh, any type of hatred or prejudice or discriminatory attitudes toward Jewish people in particular. So it's anti-Semite in the sense of the Jewish people are descendants of Shem, but more particular, specifically against the Jewish people themselves. Yeah, I find that interesting. It was a few years ago when I was doing some uh, research on anti-Semitism that I first discovered that etymology that it that it descends from um, from the uh, dislike or the hatred of, of Shem's descendants, um, yeah. which of course would include many peoples. Right. But um, but you're saying it's specifically in its historical context targeted against the Jewish descendants of Shem. Correct. Okay. And so it's a pretty focused hatred and prejudice against uh, uh, that particular people. Now, being that it's, it's a uh, definition that partly comes from the scriptures, um, are there examples of anti-Semitism in the Bible itself? Well, there, I'll give you some specific ones. Um, there's, there's always been throughout scripture, and especially Israel's history, where Israel has had enemies that have hated them, wanted to wipe them out, etc. But there are uh, a couple of verses that come to mind as far as specific examples. Of course, the classic is found in the book of Esther. Uh, you have the, the poster child, if you will, of anti-Semitism, and that's the evil, uh, the wicked person Haman, who uh, had plotted to destroy the Jewish people. And when he came to the king to uh, kind of persuade the king to destroy the Jewish people, he uses this terminology that is really a terminology 
that uh, anti-Semites have, have used or uh, expressed uh, by their, their thoughts, uh, the same as Haman. This is found in Esther chapter 3, verse 8, where Haman said to the king, there is a certain people. So he's distinguishing them. There is a certain people scattered, dispersed among the peoples and all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different. So he's making a decision. These people are different from us, from those of all other people, and they do not comply with the king's laws, which, which is a lie. Uh, so here's the key phrase. So it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. Mm-hmm. So this is why Haman is put forward as, as the, uh, the, the prototype, the example of anti-Semites for centuries. He distinguishes them as a certain people. They're different. He lies about them as to their character and what they actually are and, and do. And so as a result of that, it's not in society's interest at large to let them remain. Mm. That's the conclusion. And then there's another verse in Acts 16, 20, when uh, Paul and Silas were brought to the chief magistrates, uh, it's interesting how the people who had something against them, how they expressed their grievance. It says, they said, these men, Jews as they are, are causing our city trouble, and they are proclaiming customs that are not lawful for us to accept or to practice since we are Romans. So even in the New Testament, you have this example of this distinction. They're Jews, they're odd, they're different, and... uh, so that was the basis from which they brought charges against Paul and Silas. So with anti-Semitism, um, no, we wouldn't say that any time a Jewish person is criticized or if someone dislikes someone who happens to be Jewish, that's not in and of itself anti-Semitism, right? No, I wouldn't say that because we disagree with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anti-Semitism is where you make a, a decision to, to hate, to discriminate, to make choices that are solely based on their Jewishness and their distinction as a Jewish person. Okay. And uh, those decisions are uh, usually negative. Right. Right. Now, we know that the the human heart is sinful, and so racism, bigotry, everything like that eventually comes from the the sin nature that we as human beings have. But I can't help but notice when I've when I look at anti-Semitism, it is a a hatred that seems to span all cultures, all times. Um, does the Bible have anything to say about? I guess you'd call it the theology of anti-Semitism or where anti-Semitism comes from. Yeah, the Bible does. Uh, first of all, I would say anti-Semitism comes from ignorance. It comes from being ignorant of the truth. What God says about the Jewish people uh, and about uh, Jewish history Jewish culture, um, modern Israel, uh, anti-Semites, 
base their hatred on lies, on falsehood. Now, uh, years ago, I actually came across a, uh, uh, this was a man in a Bible-believing church, uh, and this was an extreme example. You know, this is, mm-hmm. this is not typical of, of uh, the vast, vast majority of, of Bible-believing Christians that I've come across, but this man, somewhere along the line in his life, had been burnt by a Jewish person, and he sat across from me, and he said, I believe God raised up Hitler to kick all the Jews out of Germany. And I've never Mm. met a Jewish person that isn't a liar or a cheat. Wow. And I was stunned. You know, this is a a guy who claimed to be a Christian sitting across from me stating these things. And I thought to myself, this guy is basing these conclusions on falsehood, on lies, and he's ignorant of the truth. So that's one thing, especially, and, and people can go down that path, especially if they've never met a Jewish person. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't encounter them. They, they don't have a friendship or, or, or uh, relate to them in any way. So they, they hear all these stereotypes and all these things. So ignorance is one. The second thing is, I think you mentioned uh, as to where this comes from, and that is man's depraved nature. Uh, the Bible says that we're not born good. Uh, we're born separated from God. You know, any parent knows that uh, you don't have to teach a child to do bad things. I have a they, two-year-old. I can attest to that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it comes naturally to be selfish. It could become, it's natural to, to, uh, to lie and to, to do things. We don't have an inherent good nature. And this is why the gospel is such a, uh, it's a wonderful good news because God transforms people and, and saves them and causes them to be born again and so forth. But because we're all born with this, uh, what the Bible refers to as a sin nature, a, a nature that is automatically from birth, separated from God, enmity with God, that means that our natures are inclined to do things that are against God's will. And part of that includes hatred of people, stereotyping them, um, and believing lies about them, and even doing the most horrendous things to them. And this especially has been historically targeted against Jewish people. So we have it within ourselves. No matter how much education we have, any of that, we have it within ourselves to do the most horrific things to our Jewish friends and neighbors. And um, so there's no excuse. It's in our nature. But ultimately, the Bible says that we are in a spiritual battle. And this is the third cause. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a real spiritual being called Satan or Satan or the devil who is the adversary of God. Now, he's not equal to God. It's not this yin-yang type of thing where you have good versus evil and they were battling out throughout uh, eternity. 
Satan is, is not omnipotent, he's not omniscient, he's not equal with God, but he's still an adversary of God who the Bible refers to as the ruler of this world. And so because he's against God and opposes God, he's against everything that God has planned, and that includes his purposes for the Jewish people. God has a plan and program for the Jewish people that he will ultimately fulfill, and he's working through, and it's going to be to God's glory to do this. Well, Satan doesn't want that to be accomplished. Right. And so he, he's the adversary. He opposes it. So that's where it ultimately comes from. So anti-Semitism is intensely theological. Uh, it's, a, it's not just a manifestation of modern, uh, modern man's prejudices, but it's a, it's a deep theological matter as well. Exactly. It goes to the root of our nature, and it goes to the spiritual forces around us that are opposed to God and his ways. There have been a lot of books um, written about anti-Semitism, the history of anti-Semitism, and um, we could be here for hours if we just wanted to detail the the history of anti-Semitism in general. Right. But one of the um, one of the aspects of anti-Semitism that is most troubling to me, and I think should be to all believers in Jesus, is that much of anti-Semitism um, throughout the ages has has come at the hands of professing Christians. Right. And uh, certainly that's a that's a, a grievous sin in the church. Uh, can you give me a little background on that? Um, how has quote-unquote Christian anti-Semitism manifested itself throughout history and, and even today? Sure. Uh, yeah, that's a, a sad part of church history that we still have to uh, acknowledge and and confess that those who profess to be Christians did wrong to the Jewish people. Um, you know, there's it's important to make a distinction as we discuss this between false professing Christians, people who you know would would wear the the banner of uh, or the name of of uh, Jesus Christ, who really weren't born-again Christians at all. It was just in name only. You have to make a distinction there. Secondly, there are disobedient Christians. There are truly born-again people who disobey God when it comes to how to treat the Jewish people and how to view them and the perspective of them. Um, and then there are biblically faithful Christians who understand what the Word of God says and how we are to treat the Jewish people. But sadly, um, and throughout church history, that hasn't always been the case. Uh, in the early years, uh, there were uh, church leaders who wrote some very strong words against the Jewish people. And a lot of this was based on the, the anti-Semitic slur that really took hold for centuries, and many uh, terrible things were done because of this anti-Semitic slur, and that is Jews alone are to blame for the death of Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And as a result of that, they were to be, you know, they, people who call themselves Christians took it upon themselves to, to make sure that the Jewish people were punished for 
for that event, uh, first of all, it's, it's not completely true. There were Jewish people involved, if you read the New Testament, but there were also Gentiles involved. There was uh, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. There was Herod, uh, the, the uh, Jewish king. And so if anybody's to be blamed, you really have to blame everybody, right? Uh, Jews and Gentiles. But nevertheless, that stuck. And so all these uh, anti-Jewish polemics came out in the early years. And then there was um, those who uh, charged that the Jewish people were um, to be uh, punished in this way because of the, the death of Christ, blaming them for the death of Christ. And, and horrible things were done because of that. Uh, such as um, uh, they were the church councils met and they passed these these uh, measures, these anti-Jewish measures that restricted Jewish people from uh, intermarrying with Christians and Jews, from Christians and Jews eating together, uh, prohibited uh, Christians from celebrating the Passover with their Jewish uh, friends, and uh, pro prohibited Jewish people from from getting higher education. In some places, they were required to wear horned hats because they were uh, associated with, with the devil. Just terrible things. You know, that's one of the things I just want to say here. Um, it's never made any sense to me, the charge that the Jewish people are Christ killers. Um, and I've heard that from many of my Jewish friends, that they are amazed that I don't view them as Christ killers. But... Um, one of the things that that just floors me is if you are a Bible believing Christian and you believe that without the shed blood of Jesus, you would not be a saved person, then um, why would you be so vengeful uh, against against those that who who did kill Jesus, uh, whether they're Romans or or Jews? Um, that's always been a theological point that just to me makes no sense. You're right. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, Jesus is the promised Messiah. And what happened to him was all part of God's plan so that Jew and Gentile could be saved. But unfortunately, in church history, they didn't see it that way. So uh, then you had a series of uh, crusades uh, beginning in 1096. And as these crusades, their purpose was to go down to Jerusalem and free Jerusalem from uh, the Muslims who were uh, dominating Jerusalem at the time. But sadly, what happened is that these uh, so-called Christian uh, crusaders on the way to Jerusalem, they decided, well, why wait until we get there to fight the infidel? And so many of them massacred Jewish people along the way. Uh, Jewish money was used to help defray the expenses of the Crusades. Uh, Jewish communities had to buy protection uh, from their uh, so-called Christian overlords. Then you had, in church history, you had forced conversions or, or forced baptisms, um, you know, at pain of death. You had, in the 1450s, a uh, church-sanctioned inquisition. Uh, you had Jewish people being confined to ghettos, and sometimes when they weren't uh, tolerated. They were expelled from their homes and country. Jewish people were used as scapegoats to uh, uh, 
explain the misfortunes and superstitions of medieval Christian Europe. Uh, Jewish people were accused of causing the Black Death, the bubonic plague, by uh, poisoning the wells of Europe. That was completely false. Over 200 Jewish communities were destroyed as a result of that. Uh, scores of uh, ritual murder accusations occurred because of a belief that uh, the Jewish people used the blood of Christian children to make their Passover matzah, their unleavened bread, completely false. Uh, by the way, that is still being uh, promoted in some Arab countries today. Yes. Um, so, sadly, church history and our relationship with our Jewish friends is, is marked with this, this horrible uh, treatment of the Jewish people. It is not the church's great commission to make sure that the Jewish people are punished. God is the judge. God is the one who will judge what should be done with his ancient people. Uh, you know, even though we see in Scripture where, where God holds Israel accountable for, for the things, uh, even in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, of things that they've, they've done and how they would often stray for him, from him and he would judge them, that's God's job. Our job is not to, to judge them or, or punish them. Our job is to, to love them. In fact, to appreciate and to lift them up as God's chosen people and that uh, he still has a plan and program for them. So, uh, you know, probably the one that's more modern <clears throat> in some of our Christian brothers and sisters would maybe have a problem with this, but in this, having this in the same discussion as anti-Semitism, but that's replacement theology. Yes. Uh, Christian replacement theology teaches that uh, the church has replaced Israel in God's plan and program, that the church, because of Israel's rejection of the Messiah, the church is now the true spiritual Israel, and all of the promises that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament are now to be spiritually and figuratively applied to the church today, so that we're, we're the new true Israel. And uh, that is... I'm sorry, that's just bad theology. You're right, absolutely. And um, so it's, there's lots of evidence in Scripture where that is not the case. Uh, God is doing a special plan and program with the church, the body of Christ, where he's calling out individual Jews and individual Gentiles in this current age uh, to make up this, this union, this body of believers who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We call that the church. It's not a building. It's a, it's a group of people, of believers. But that doesn't mean that God has completely uh, wiped out or negated his plan for Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, that would mean that he would have to negate and cancel out all the hundreds and hundreds of promises that he made to Israel uh, in the Old Testament. So that's... That's not the case. Uh, that's not uh, true. God is going to keep his promises, and uh, we should uh, not respond by trying to, in our cancel culture today, trying to cancel Israel out. Exactly. And, you know, 
you mentioned that some in evangelical in the evangelical world would take issue with your putting replacement theology with anti-Semitism. Yeah. And certainly I don't think that everyone who holds to replacement theology is an anti-Semite, quite right. to the contrary. Yeah. But when you look at the origins of, of, of replacement theology, it's inseparably linked to an anti-Semitic bias in the early church. Um, and so it's, it's really downstream from anti-Semitism. Right. It certainly is the, the root that can blossom into anti-Semitic attitudes and hatred and prejudice and vile acts as you see what happened in church history. Mm -hmm. If you take the, the position that the church has triumphed over Israel, then that must that, that implies that Israel must always be put in a lower position, in a, a defeated uh, a position, a, a, a secondary position. So in order to keep that happening, you have to keep the Jewish people from succeeding, uh, from advancing. And so thus all of these things, plus you, you couple that with the theological reason, well, they're to blame for the death of Christ. Uh, then yes, what you think about God, what you think about his word does have consequences in how you live out your life. And so if you've come to the conclusion that the church has replaced Israel, then that's going to have everyday practical uh, implications. We saw an extreme version of that back in 2019. Um, I remember it because it was... Um... The, the day before I left to go to Poland with a group of young Jewish people here from, um, well, from California and from Las Vegas. And uh, it was when a young man um, entered an Orthodox synagogue and began shooting. And um, some of the, the kids on our trip, they were from San Diego. And so it, it hit very close to home. And one of the things that, that I noticed, um, I read his manifesto that he wrote when he was preparing to go um, on this rampage into the synagogue. And he had a lot of political statements there. But one of the things I noticed was that he espoused replacement theology in his, in his uh, manifesto. And so certainly extreme, but it's it certainly uh, when you have theological beliefs, if they really are uh, what you believe, it's going to affect your life negatively or positively. And we see that um, even there. Yes. I think of uh, just of what Russell Moore from the Southern Baptist Convention said, and I, I think this is uh, to your point, that if you hate Jews, you hate Jesus too. And uh, that's a hard pill for many Christians to swallow, but I think that that's the pill. That's, that's the, the reality. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's a paradox. How can you love Jesus and not love the Jews? Exactly. Yeah. You love the, the one who you believe is a Jewish Messiah and yet you hate his people. Um, yes. it's, it doesn't add up. That's correct. Well, Bruce, um, in closing, I just want to ask you one more question. And that is, we know then that, that anti-Semitism um, manifests itself in various ways throughout history and certainly in the present. How should Christians respond today? What can Christians do when faced with anti-Semitism um, in their culture or even in their, their church? Well, that's a good question. I think, uh, Ty, uh, first of all, they have to uh, 
uh, be informed. If you're, if, unless you want to stay in a state of ignorance, uh, you have to be informed about certain things. Uh, we have to be informed on the role of Jewish people in the scriptures, including reminders of, of God's love and special relationship to his people, Israel, to the Jewish people. Uh, we have to be informed that anti-Semitism is a wicked sin. Uh, God hates it. It's, he, he calls, uh, in Romans chapter 11, an attitude of arrogance and conceit is, that is sin. Uh, we have to be informed that uh, God actually considers anti-Semites to be enemies of God. Mm. Uh, Psalm 83, verses 2 through 5, makes that clear that when uh, Israel's enemies are trying to wipe them out, the psalmist says, they're conspiring against you, God, because God's name is attached to them. They have to be informed about God's special relationship through the Abrahamic covenant and all the covenants that God has made with Israel. But in that covenant, God has attached his name, his reputation to that specific people. And he is going to honor his name by what he does in fulfilling the covenants that he has promised to them. Um, you, you have to understand that God will righteously judge anti-Semites. Uh, there is going to be a judgment for those. In fact, in Genesis 12, verse 3, where, uh, which is part of the Abrahamic covenant, God says, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And the distinction that is made in that last phrase, the one who curses you, I will curse, there's a distinction between those two words of, of curse. The first one is the one who curses you has the idea of even if you consider uh, this Jewish person, this descendant of Abraham, you consider him as insignificant. Hmm. You know, you're, you're looking at them as, as some, somebody uh, that you can belittle. You know, they're of no regard. Even if someone treats you like that, God says, I will curse. And the, and the word for curse there is one that has the idea, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. So there is, there is a reckoning. <laughs> yes. you, can't, you can't poke a stick into the apple of God's eye and not expect a response from him. Uh, so people need to be informed of those things. You need to be informed of Jewish history. We need to be informed of the dangers of stereotyping. I think it's great to make Jewish friends. You know, it becomes easier to see people as individuals when we know individuals. Um, I think uh, a Christian should support the right of the state of Israel to exist because the Jewish people are bound to the state of Israel. I know there are some Jewish people who, who uh, there's, you know, they're all on the political spectrum and some support Israel and some don't and all that. But at the heart of it all, that's their root. That's their ground. And so I think not just Christians should support Israel on a political basis. It's more so that we can support Israel on a biblical basis. There are reasons why we can support the right of the state of Israel to exist because of what God has said in his word. We should also encourage church leaders to serve as good examples and to uh, be on the Lord's side. As Psalm 124 says, that if it wasn't for the Lord who was on our side, then Israel's enemies would have swallowed them up a long time ago. So 
we need to be on the Lord's side and, and we can uh, get involved in and, and participate, support constructive political action. Um, you know, there's the famous, famous quotation by Martin Niemöller, uh, the German pastor during uh, the, uh, the World War II, the Holocaust days. He once said, in Germany, they came first for the communists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. And then they came for me. And by that time, no one was left to speak up. Mm. We need to speak up. We need to support our Jewish people. We need to speak out against anti-Semitism. But ultimately, what should be our response? Love them. God loves Israel. God loves the Jewish people. Uh, he has not rejected them. He still has a plan and program for them. And if we love God, we claim to love God, we claim to love his Messiah, Jesus, then how can we not love his people, the Jewish people. Amen. Amen. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today and uh, really to talk about this very important and uh, contemporary issue with historical and theological roots. Um, it's, it's been eye-opening, and I'm sure it will be for, for listeners as well. So thank you for your time today. Well, thank you, Ty. It's been a pleasure. Anti-Semitism is a problem. It's a big problem. And it's one that continues to affect the Jewish people to this day. Evangelicals must understand that such prejudice, such hatred, did not die with the end of World War II, with the end of the Holocaust. Indeed, anti-Semitism has been described as the oldest hatred. And unfortunately, that hatred often finds a home within the church. Bruce Scott offers a helpful understanding of not only the history of anti-Semitism, but of its origins as well. As with any hatred, anti-Semitism is sin, and it's a sin that starts in the dark human heart, the wickedness of which the prophet Jeremiah tells us is beyond human comprehension. But it's also satanically motivated. As God's chosen people, the Jewish people are the apple of God's eye, and Satan will stop at nothing in his quest for their destruction. History bears this out. As evangelicals, we must not allow ourselves to remain ignorant of the history of anti-Semitism and the church's unfortunate complicity with it. Further, we cannot, we must not, remain silent when we see anti-Semitism raise its head in contemporary society, whether that's in our broader culture or in the church specifically. The Bible demands action on the part of believers when we see injustice anywhere, especially when that injustice targets the people that God has chosen and the nation that God has called his own. I can't help but think of Casper Tenboom, an elderly evangelical man who, along with his family, hid Jewish people in his home during World War II. When he was told that hiding Jewish people from the Nazis could result in his arrest and death, he responded confidently. It would be an honor to give my life for God's ancient people. May the church have such an attitude and such a conviction today. If you've enjoyed today's program, be sure to subscribe to the Gesher Podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google, or your other favorite podcast platform to ensure that you hear future episodes. For more information about me, visit ty-perry.com. For further information about the Friends of Israel, visit foi.org. 
I'm your host, Ty Perry, inviting you to join me again next time for another conversation about the things that matter. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom.